0: section nine of the king in yellow by robert w chambers this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by eva stays the street of the four winds firm tes yeux à demi croise tes bras sur ton sein et de ton coeur endormi chasse à jamais Discent Je chante la nature, les étoiles de soir, les lames du matin, le coucher de soleil à l'horizon lointain, Le cils qui parlent ou cœur d'existence future. One, the animal paused on the threshold, interrogative, alert, ready for flight if necessary. Severn laid down his palette and held out a hand of welcome the cat remained motionless her yellow eyes fastened upon Severn puss he said in his low pleasant voice come in the tip of her thin tail twitched uncertainly come in he said again apparently she found his voice reassuring for she slowly settled upon all fours her eyes still fastened upon him her tail tucked under her gaunt flanks he rose from his easel smiling she eyed him quietly and when he walked towards her she watched him bend above her without a wince her eyes followed his hand until it touched her head then she uttered a ragged mew It had long been Severn's custom to converse with animals, probably because he lived so much alone, and now he said, "'What's the matter, puss?' Her timid eyes sought his. "'I understand,' he said gently. "'You shall have it at once.' Then, moving quietly about, he busied himself with the duties of a host." rinsed a saucer filled it with the rest of the milk from the bottle on the window-sill and kneeling down crumbled a roll into the hollow of his hand the creature rose and crept toward the saucer with the handle of a palette knife he stirred the crumbs and milk together and stepped back as she thrust her nose into the mess he watched her in silence from time to time the saucer clinked upon the tiled floor as she reached for a morsel on the rim And at last the bread was all gone, and her purple tongue travelled over every unlike spot until the saucer shone like polished marble. Then she sat up, and coolly turning her back to him began her ablutions. Keep it up, said Severn, much interested. You need it. She flattened one ear, but neither turned nor interrupted her toilet. As the grime was slowly removed, Severne observed that nature had intended her for a white cat. Her fur had disappeared in patches, from disease or the chances of war. Her tail was bony and her spine sharp, but what charms she had were becoming apparent under vigorous licking, and he waited until she had finished before reopening the conversation. When at last she closed her eyes and folded her forepaws under her breast he began again very gently, "'Puss, tell me your troubles.' At the sound of his voice she broke into a harsh rumbling, which he recognized as an attempt to purr. He bent over to rub her cheek, and she mewed again, an amiable, inquiring little mew, to which he replied, "'Certainly, you are greatly improved, and when you recover your plumage you will be a gorgeous bird.' Much flattered, she stood up and marched round and round his legs, pushing her head between them and making pleased remarks, to which he responded with grave politeness. Now, what sent you here, he said, here into the street of the four winds, and up five flights to the very door where you would be welcome? What was it that prevented your mediated flight when I turned from my canvas to encounter your yellow eyes? Are you a Latin Quarter cat? as I am a Latin quarterman, and why do you wear a rose-colored flowered garter buckled about your neck? The cat had climbed into his lap and now sat purring as he passed his hand over her thin coat. Excuse me, he continued in lazy, soothing tones, harmonizing with her purring, if I seem indelicate, but I cannot help musing on this rose-colored garter, flowered so quaintly and fastened with a silver clasp. For the clasp is silver i can see the mint mark on the edge as is prescribed by the law of the french republic now why is this garter woven of rose silk and delicately embroidered why is this silken garter with its silver clasp about your famished throat am i indiscreet when i inquire if its owner is your owner is she some aged dame living in memory of youthful vanities fond Doting on you, decorating you with her intimate personal attire, the circumference of the garter would suggest this for your neck is thin, and the garter fits you. But then again, I notice I notice most things that the garter is capable of being much enlarged. These small silver-rimmed eyelets of which I count five are proof of that, and now I observe that the fifth eyelet is worn out as though the tongue of the clasp were accustomed to lie there that seems to argue a well-rounded form the cat curled her toes in contentment the street was very still outside he murmured on why should your mistress decorate you with an article most necessary to her at all times Anyway, at most times, how did she come to slip this bit of silk and silver about your neck? Was it the caprice of a moment, when you, before you had lost your pristine plumpness, marched singing into her bedroom to bid her good morning? Of course, and she sat up among the pillows, her coiled hair tumbling to her shoulders, as you sprang upon the bed, purring, Good day, my lady. Oh, it is very easy to understand. He yawned resting his head on the back of the chair. The cat still purred, tightening and relaxing her padded claws over his knee. "'Shall I tell you all about her, cat? She is very beautiful, your mistress,' he murmured drowsily, and her hair is heavy as burnished gold. I could paint her, not on canvas, for I should need shades and tones and hues and dyes more splendid than the iris of a splendid rainbow.' I could only paint her with closed eyes, for in dreams alone can such colors as I need be found. For her eyes, I must have their azure from the skies untroubled by a cloud, the skies of dreamland. For her lips, roses from the palaces of slumberland, and for her brows, snowdrifts from the mountains which tower in fantastic pinnacles to the moons. Oh, much higher than our moon here, the crystal moons of dreamland, she is very beautiful your mistress the words died on his lips and his eyelids drooped the cat too was asleep her cheek turned up upon her wasted flank her paws relaxed and limp two it is fortunate said Severne, sitting up and stretching that we have tided over the dinner hour for i have nothing to offer you for supper but what may be purchased with one silver franc. The cat on his knee rose, arched her back, yawned, and looked up at him. What shall it be, a roast chicken with salad? No, possibly you prefer beef. Of course, and I shall try an egg with some white bread. Now for the wines. Milk for you? Good. I shall take a little water, fresh from the wood, with a motion toward the bucket and the sink. He put on his hat and left the room. The cat followed to the door, and after he had closed it behind him, she settled down, smelling at the cracks and cocking one ear at every creak from the crazy old building. The door below opened and shut. The cat looked serious, for a moment doubtful, and her ears flattened in nervous expectation. Presently, she rose with a jerk of her tail and started on a noiseless tour of the studio, she sneezed at a pot of turpentine, hastily retreating to the table which she presently mounted, and having satisfied her curiosity concerning a roll of red modelling wax, returned to the door and sat down with her eyes on the crack over the threshold, and then she lifted her voice in a thin plaint. When Severn returned, he looked grave, but the cat, joyous and demonstrative, marched around him, rubbing her gaunt body against his legs, driving her head enthusiastically into his hand, and purring until her voice mounted to a squeal. He placed a bit of meat, wrapped in brown paper, upon the table, and with a penknife cut it into shreds, the milk he took from a bottle, which had served for medicine, and poured it into the saucer on the hearth. The cat crouched before it, purring and lapping at the same time. He cooked his egg and ate it with a slice of bread, watching her busy with the shredded meat, and when he had finished, and had filled and emptied a cup of water from the bucket in the sink, he sat down, taking her into his lap, where she at once curled up and began her toilet. He began to speak again, touching her caressingly at times, by way of emphasis. "'Cat, I have found out where your mistress lives.' it is not very far it is here under the same leaky roof but in the north wing which i had supposed was uninhabited my janitor tells me this by chance he is almost sober this evening the butcher on the rue de sienne where i brought your meat knows you and old Caban, the baker identified you with needless sarcasm they tell me hard tales of your mistress which i shall not believe they say she is idle and vain and pleasure-loving they say she is hair-brained and reckless. The little sculptor on the ground floor who was buying rolls from the old Carbane spoke to me tonight, for the first time, although we have always bowed to each other. He said she was very good and very beautiful. He has only seen her once, and does not know her name. I thanked him. I don't know why I thanked him so warmly, Cabain said. Into this cursed street of the four winds, the four winds blow all things evil. The sculpture looked confused but when he went out with his rolls he said to me i am sure monsieur that she is good as she is beautiful the cat had finished her toilet and now springing softly to the floor went to the door and sniffed he knelt beside her and unclasping the garter held it for a moment in his hands after a while he said there is a name engraved upon the silver clasp beneath the buckle it is a pretty name sylvia elvin sylvia is a woman's name Elvin is the name of a town. In Paris, in this quarter above all, in the street of the four winds, names are worn and put away as fashions change with the seasons. I know the little town of Elvin, for there I met fate face to face, and fate was unkind. But do you know that in Elvin fate had another name, and that name was Sylvia? He replaced the garter and stood up looking at the cat crouched before the closed door the name of alvin has a charm for me it tells me of meadows and clear rivers the name of sylvia troubles me like perfume from dead flowers the cat mewed yes yes he said soothingly i will take you back your sylvia is not my sylvia the world is wide and alvin is not unknown yet in the darkness and filth of poorer paris in the sad shadows of this ancient house these names are very pleasant to me he lifted her in his arms and strode through the silent corridors to the stairs down five flights and into the moonlit court past the little sculpture's den and then again in at the gate of the north wing and up the worm-eaten stairs he passed until he came to a closed door when he had stood knocking for a long time, something moved behind the door. It opened, and he went in. The room was dark. As he crossed the threshold, the cat sprang from his arms into the shadows. He listened but heard nothing. The silence was oppressive, and he struck a match. At his elbow stood a table and on the table a candle in a gilded candlestick. This he lighted. Then looked around. The chamber was vast the hangings heavy with embroidery over the fireplace towered a carved mantle gray with the ashes of dead fires in a recess by the deep-set window stood a bed from which the bedclothes soft and fine as lace trailed to the polished floor he lifted the candle above his head a handkerchief lay at his feet it was faintly perfumed he turned toward the windows in front of them was a canopy, and over it were flung pell-mell A gown of silk a heap of lace-like garments white and delicate as spiders meshes long crumpled gloves and on the floor beneath the stockings the little pointed shoes and one garter of rosy silk quaintly flowered and fitted with a silver clasp wondering he stepped forward and drew the heavy curtains from the bed for a moment the candle flared in his hands then his eyes met two others wide open Smiling, the candle flame flashed over hair, heavy as gold. She was pale, but not as white as he. Her eyes were untroubled as a child's, but he stared, trembling from head to foot, while the candle flickered in his hand. At last he whispered, Sylvia, it is I. Again he said, it is I. Then, knowing that she was dead, he kissed her on the mouth, and through the long watches of the night, the cap purred on his knee, tightening and relaxing her padded claws until the sky paled above the street of the four winds. End of section 9